Welcome to your tribe. To kick this baby off, for those that don't know who you are, even though you've been on the Can Show before, you did give a talk at a workshop at the uh, Unilever offices in Dubai. Who are you? Well, I mean, first off, uh, I'm good looking. Oof. I mean, <laughs> we, I'm just saying, if we just if we just start in there. We just start. In Let's there. start honest. Let's start honest too. You know. <laughs> this is a this is a safe environment. This is a safe environment right here. Uh, but I'm Dr. Underwood. I'm the founder of the National Association of Minority Speakers and Purple Heart Talks, uh, which which hopefully everybody is starting to implement now. Uh, as well, I'm the senior director at Catalyst, where you know their main focus there is like gender gender bias. Just a little background: you've given a talk on diversity and inclusion. We had quite an extensive conversation about racism, um, about sexism. I think what we want to do for today's session, unlike the one we've had before, this does focus about the workplace. Tends to be a charged space. I feel like sometimes there's a lot of misunderstandings that happen. Like, you know, people are might be somewhat racist or at least, you know, saying things that might come off as racist or saying things that might come off as sexist without having the inhibitions or the awareness of it. And the reason why um, I'm sharing that is because one of the things I've I've noticed about being in this part of the world is that um, in Arabic, it's all about intent first. In the Arab culture, we tend to ignore the actual action itself. You know, the the argument becomes, oh, that was not my intent. I didn't mean to, to say that or or say it like that or it came out like that. But I think that also in communications, it's not what you meant to say. It's how it's received, right? Let's start talking about that um, when it comes to microaggressions, when it comes to racism. I think maybe to take a step back, let's define what they are to help clarify these points for people who might, you know, misunderstand the relationships between them. And then also get we go deeper into highlighting what they are and being to, able to provide tools. So that's kind of, I think, just an overview of an agenda. A key one, I think, is the Purple Heart, which you've developed. And um, I think that was spectacular. So to kick off, what is racism let's let's define that first okay so that you know that's a that's a good question and, and basically if you just think about it in general racism is just providing or uh being negative towards someone solely because of who, who they are so we could say skin color it actually could be anything it's, it, we, we think about microaggressions as well kind of all rolls in but basically you're just discriminated against someone simply because of who they are in, in a nutshell and the Challenge with that is that some people will make the statement that, you know, no, I'm, I'm not racist or to your point, that wasn't my intent. Well, intent doesn't matter when you think about a person that's on the receiving end. And, you know, again, one of the challenges you think about this is the consistency behind how many times you receive these 
insults on a day to day basis. So that one time that, you know, you say something, oh, you speak good English or, um, you know, you look good for a dark skinned girl, whatever, whatever that is, you know, it's that one last time that puts you over the edge, you know. And so people have to realize when you're the one that's given these insults or these microaggressions, it's not about your intent. It's about how the person who is on the receiving end actually feels when they hear whatever that is uh, that you said towards them. And what's a microaggression? Just so we can connect these dots real quick. Yep. So microaggression is basically that. It, it, microaggression is the actual act. It's the insult uh, that people receive on a day-to-day basis. Again, if, if you could you could say a microaggression, you have no negative intent behind it, but it's that act. It's the action negative energy towards that person in a marginalized group. Right. And sometimes it feels like a backhanded compliment, <laughs> right? Where it's like, you're smart or you're good looking or you're intelligent or you're great at X, but there's always this, but that's, that's going to come there or it's going to be like for something, right? For, uh, for a woman, for a black person, for a young person or for an older person. Like there's, there's always that, but in a microaggression, um, that I've experienced personally, like, um, one of the worst ones that I've experienced usually is, and, and this has happened to me before my, my previous jobs where my boss would be like, yo, for, for a Sudanese, you're actually not that lazy. Or, oh my God, you're actually quite hardworking for a Sudanese. And they don't realize what is being said or what, you know, what is it that they're putting on the table when they make such a statement. And it is one of those things where I'm like, no, 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 no. What do you mean by that? Let's, let's talk about it. And I tend to have um, quite a response to it where, oh, no, that's not okay. And I make it clear that that's not okay. Microaggressions, I think, are the easiest ones we tend to we tend to be guilty of without realizing we're being guilty of. Is that correct? Yeah. And and you made a really good example because that person that says that you weren't lazy, you know, being Sudanese, when they said it, I'm pretty sure it was no malice. I mean, they, they didn't have any extra like uh, energy in their voice, I, I think. And, and so that's where you, you get into the bias, the unconscious bias, you know, and, and you start to really, you may, and you did a really good uh, thing by actually interrupting that by saying, well, wait a minute. No, that that's the stop there. You know, um, let's one, let's talk about it, because maybe I just need to educate you on your misconception of Sudanese people. Right. Because he lumped you in with everybody. And that's the first thing you have to do. And then, and then also, you know, the, when he said that, you know, again, it was no negative intent. It's just that you have to understand the impact it has on the other person. And, that, and that's and that's how you start to get to change. You know, if you are the one first, you got to acknowledge, OK, yeah, I may have said something inappropriate at times. I mean, even even now, like I have to catch myself. It's, it's like I was jogging the other day and I, I had my speaker, my loudspeaker on. It was an older lady at the corner. I was waiting for the traffic uh, to, to, to change. And she was like, oh, that's Lil Wayne. And I was like, you know who Lil Wayne is? Boom, microaggression right there. It just, you don't even think about it. I just, I, I just put that bias on her. Like, how would you know who this person is? And it, these things happen just like second nature. And so you have to be able to, you know, look internally, step back and say, well, okay, I, I was actually wrong when I, when I did that. So the next time you self-correct. 
How does that apply to the workplace where, for example, and I can say this, maybe not me now, but a younger me was very reticent to correct somebody who was in a senior position than I am or somebody that I have to simply see every day. Like, it, because the reality is when we work in who we work with, I used to see those people more than I would see my family. And You know, I understand that feeling of someone saying, oh, you know, like you're smarter than you look. And that is a that that's a microaggression to me. But there were many moments where I admittedly said nothing because I would rather not have the argument or that uncomfortable feeling. What do you think we can do? What tools can we have to respond to that feeling, especially when it was a senior, if it was senior management, I would not feel like I had the guts to correct that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one, you have to push past that, that feeling of being uncomfortable. That That's the first thing. It is it, hard initially, but once you start conditioning yourself, it's second nature because no matter who the person is, you, you, you have to interrupt that bias and start to create change. And, and frankly, I, I like to look at it like this. I mean, you, you have a senior leader at work, but let's say you all were in the park. You don't you don't know who he is. You don't know. You know, you're going to interrupt that person if they say something to you. You don't know their background. So you have to take that same concept. We're all just we're all I don't want to say just people, but we're all people. And so it doesn't matter about the title or the role. If someone says something inappropriate, you have to stand up and actually interrupt that bias when, when it's happening. Real time is best. And so there's 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 a, a tool that I like to just call a three two one framework. And basically what it says is uh, there's three things that you should always or you should never do. You should never ignore these biases when you see them happening. You should never excuse it like, oh, that's just so and so. And this is the this is the um, um, the big one here. Um, you should never become immobilized. Right. Because I think a lot of times when you see something happening, you don't know what to do. So therefore, you don't do anything. But when you don't do anything, you actually become complicit. And, and I'm saying from the standpoint of the person who's like, if you if you're watching something happening, And that person looks over at you and you turn your head. Now they're looking at you like you're part of the problem as well. So you, you have to, again, never ignore, excuse or become mobilized. And then you have to two things you got to do is, is, you know, make the decision to either pet or don't. Right. Because it, it's like you, you have to be able to um, uh, say, I'm going to step in. And I'm going to say, no, this is inappropriate. I'm going to speak out for people's voice who may not be able to utilize the voice at that time. And then the last thing is, you know, you have to simply make the decision. I mean, that's what it boils down to. You have to make the decision. I think everyone that goes through uh, such a situation, like the decision in their head is always, okay, like I want to stop this. I want to say something. But to raise point, because for example, like when you're with a senior, when you're with, and I see this a lot as well, when you're with someone senior and they crack a joke or anything, some people, and this goes back to uh, to uh, demobilizing, is that some people just give a smile just to like pass it on where that smile actually adds on where, oh, they were okay with it. Uh, and sometimes, and and this is from from my point of view, it's not about, like stopping them and uh, opening a big discussion with them and trying to educate them in the middle of the work. But sometimes it's just body language where if you do not smile towards it or if you do not nod or if you do not like, yeah, then they, then they go like, oh, okay, so they didn't respond to that. In the, like they didn't take it in a friendly way. So there must be something wrong with that. Unfortunately, some people aren't that, some people are ignorant, but some people at least understand when you don't give them face around it or where you at least 
not show negativity towards it, but not not the normal nod, because I really see it a lot. And and those things really differ towards the next time they're going to see you and them understanding, especially if it's in a workplace and it's someone that's senior. When you give a nonverbal approval. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you, you don't smile at it. You don't nod kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, sometimes in that scenario, the person will say it again because they, they just feel like, oh, or they'll do it again because like, oh, you, you didn't get it the first time. So so that's why it's, it's important. Like, I mean, in addition to like giving that that stern look, it's like that's where you speak up because, you know, to your point, the ignorance sometimes takes over and they don't they really don't understand like what's going on. And they're trying to continue and push and push to the point where you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Now, let me you didn't get the, the, the look I gave you. So let me let me go in and actually explain to you, like, what's going on here and why this is inappropriate. No, I'm with you. But unfortunately, sometimes not everyone can speak up or know what to say at the moment or because of the seniority or because of the person, they really don't know what to say. And they want to say something, but they don't know how to phrase it. They're afraid of getting in trouble for saying it. Some people, so like to your point, you're right. Like sometimes just taking them on the side and go like, you know what, even though they said it, not doing it, but then taking them on the side in their office and mentioning it. Uh, that, but not everyone has the guts or, uh, has the guts to do that. So that's why that's like the first step is not taking it in terms of their body language, in terms of not smiling back. But yes, I agree with you. If they, if they can talk to them, if they can phrase it hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I would say that you then you have to think about what are the, who, who's in place as far as HR that I can go to, because if, if, you know, there's always going to be a way now, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, some scenarios where you feel like somebody's going to be lashing back out to make your work environment like horrible, you know, and in, in those scenarios, you didn't have to get your allies, which should be your human resources and say, Hey, this is what's happening. And then you just have to make a report. And then that way, you know, you fall under the, um, safety net of of hr hopefully hopefully <laughs> hopefully because there are there are scenarios <laughs> i've i've seen and heard of where that that didn't necessarily work to somebody's favor um so i remember uh, i remember this vividly because it was just um i've the i heard the stories and i was told about this and it was just one of those experiences where i was really offended by it but then i was told not to do anything um one of in my old company um that I used to work at, one of my senior directors, she was one of the brightest in, in the advertising industry and presenting to a room full of people. And her um, her strategic approach did not mesh with somebody else. They just disagreed on a point. It was, a, it was someone that was much more senior than she as part of a C-level management, right? And they disagreed. They had a bit of a debate in the, in the meeting. And then as she's trying to you know, share her thoughts. He goes like, sh- sh- shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And she's a senior director. Granted, he's, he's her senior, but she's not, uh, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think you should talk like that to an intern personally, but it, you know, just to, to, to paint a picture here. So that, that's how it went down in the meeting. And then when she shared the experience with me and I wanted to do anything, she said not to, because this is a boys club. And that's how they always are. And apparently, you know, she approached HR before, but then HR kind of gave her like, who was at the time the head of HR was a female. So smiled at her and like, but, but you know how it is here was the response, right? So now we're in a bit of a, um, a, a stranger position. Like, how do you, maybe she should have gone about, or even how could I have gone about to support or help her in that situation? Yeah, you, you know, uh, unfortunately, Sometimes the organization is a little behind the mark when it comes to 
like creating these inclusive or actually psychologically safe environments where you actually feel comfortable enough speaking out. And that's for anyone, any level. And when that's not in place, then, you know, you ultimately become the person who is like breaking through the wall. And that is a hard place to be in because you won't have the support yet, because, again, the organization is not like um, bored into the idea of inclusion and ensuring that people feel comfortable. They can be authentically themselves and they can actually speak out against these injustices. So in a scenario like that, it's not really much more. I mean, you basically are going to be the person on the front line, like pushing and pushing past HR and continue to push to the next level and push and push until you start to be the catalyst for change. And that is a very hard thing to do. And, and you definitely have to be, you know, ready and, and, and comfortable enough to do that because it could be a long road. And depending on, you know, where you are in an organization, it could be very tough for you. But you then ultimately will be the person that can make the change for everyone else coming behind you. Uh, so that in, in, in one hand, that could be a good thing, but it, it would be a, a a huge mountain to climb. I can imagine. But yeah, you, you got to be really brave and uh, ready to ready to go down that yeah, road. Yeah, and sometimes, OT, it's uh, like seeing who, like finding, okay, this boys club or whoever is in it and finding that one person that is the voice of reason between them. And at the end of the day, whether if it's the, the politics within a company, and they don't want to lose good people towards actions that aren't worth it, to be honest. And Sarahtan, and I've seen it now throughout corporations, how the HR process and something have been uh, have been getting much, much, much better. Regionally, I think Versus, so. I think there's yeah. a lot more than when we first started working yeah, 100%. many, many, many years ago uh, <laughs> to, to date ourselves. But um, one of the things that I do want to kind of really uh, touch on is the idea of inclusion and the idea of, you know, well, when, when I speak about it, I ask some of my friends who are journalists, why don't you cover more female stories about women in the workplace or, you know, women VCs or things like that? And especially women of color, because there's even fewer of us as you kind of rise through the ranks. And what a lot of them say is they refuse to be put in that spotlight because they feel like it would upset the boys club, this boys club that we don't really know who's in it. Um Dr. Underwood, what would you say to to people who feel like they could be champions for their cause, whatever that cause may be, and what steps can they take towards creating a more inclusive workspace in their world, what in whatever small universe they live in? Yeah, so you know, one thing I one thing I I, I don't like that I hear, um, which. Uh, is a common thing is that we don't want to accept we we don't want to uh, upset the boys club. Everybody has the same mentality when it comes to the majority. I'm you know when you think about trying to interrupt these biases. So so they have done a good job in the sense that people don't don't even want to like push back because because they they've done such a great job you know, making people feel so uncomfortable with, with speaking out that nobody says anything. So now guess what? They get to continue on doing all these negative things towards marginalized groups and nobody says anything. And the, so what we have to do first is just make the step. Like once you, once you feel it, you know, again, you, you know, when you've had enough and enough is enough. Like once you get to that point, then it's like, now it's time to act. You know what? I have the energy now. That's how you can use that anger or those those uh, emotions to actually create action at this point. 
Now, you, you, you definitely want to have allies. That, that is going to be one of the key components in actually making sure that you can create change. You, you, you have to have allies. And I'm, I'm 100% sure people are people. So if they've done this or said this to you or another person, they've said it to more people. But everybody has the same mentality, like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to push back on it. It's, it's going to make my life horrible. But once that one person starts to speak up, you'll you'll see other people start to come to the forefront. Like, OK, yeah, this happened to me, too, but I just didn't want to be the only one. So now there's power in the collective. So 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 you the first thing you have to do is just speak out, make that first step. And then you'll start to see other people starting to come in. And then now you have a group of allies that can take that collective pain, so to speak, to the corporation saying, hey, this has to change. And do you, and why should a person wait until it builds up until they can't take it anymore? Why until why why from the first or second time they understand that it's something they don't like and start building that case or start looking for those allies from the get go? Yeah, each person is different. Some people you you hit them one time to hit you right back. Um, some people you have to hit them a couple of times because they're like, nah, you know what, I'm gonna let it slide. I'm gonna let it slide this time, you know, until it builds up. So it just depends on the type of person you are. That's some great advice um, for us to use. Earlier, we were talking about, you know, not being complicit. That That's not exclusive to just, you know, seeing an eye or a look either, is it? Like, sometimes you're just in the room, right? You're in that meeting and that comment has been made. And I feel like sometimes out of fear, everybody feels obliged to sort of laugh along and let it happen. Mm-hmm. In that sense, that makes the whole room complicit, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I was in a meeting, the only black person in the in the room, and I was. It's like this. I wasn't in front of the screen, but you know how sometimes you're looking this way, and like I was, like my arm is like on the table. I'm looking, so there's a person behind me, and he was like, "Hey, I can't see through muddy water. Can you move out the way?" Everybody started laughing, and I'm like, "Yeah," and every, I mean, the whole room just just bust out laughing, you know, and I was thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, like this is the most offensive thing that someone can say to me. And then they said it in the moment. So now it's like, if, if everyone is laughing, you know, and I speak out, I'm speaking out against the whole room, you know, and, and at that time, you know, I wasn't, you know, I took more of the approach of, no, I'm not going to say anything because it's just me against everybody, you know, and, you know, you take these instances. So, to, you know, uh, to your point, it's like, I was a person that had to build up. Like I had to continue to receive this and receive this to the point where I was like, enough is enough. Because my first thought is, well, you know, I, I need my job. I got bills to pay. I got family. So I tend to like put it aside because, you know, I don't want to get fired. I don't want to be in a situation where I have to leave my job. But when you get to the point where it's like, you know what, I can't one more joke and that's it. I'm, I'm going to push back. And, and that's where I got, you know, and, and so it just everybody is different. But the goal is you got to speak up, though. And just, I think, as a note here, uh, something important to highlight is that for some people, like, oh, but it was just a joke. And the answer is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's meant to be funny or not. That is still racist, I think. And something that we see here commonly is that uh, during Ramadan, you know, Ramadan soap operas and comedy TV shows are a thing. You know, everybody's eyes on TV kind of thing. And... At that time, notoriously um, slapstick comedy that has racial undertones. 
And a few comedians were called out for it publicly on social media. A few shows and personalities were called out for it. And then their their argument is always, oh, that's not my intent. It's meant to just be funny. It's just in good humor and jokes, right? But that that still does not make it okay. That is still based on some form of uh, racism and stereotyping. Yeah, you know, these... You have to understand the mindset of the person who, you know, not only laughs at the joke, but says the joke, you know, and, and, and think about and think about this in the workplace. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to deviate just a little bit to try to make this point. Uh, and OT, I think I might have shared this with you, but uh, maybe about three months ago, my father called me, said he had um, liver cancer and he basically I said, oh, you know, well, what, what stage are you at? I'm like asking questions because my, my brother had liver cancer. And so my dad was like, I don't know. They're just saying it's the biggest they ever seen. It's, it's the biggest they ever seen. And it was kind of frustrating because I'm like, you know, when you get the the notice, so to speak, you got to start fighting, you know. And so two weeks later, I packed up my bags, moved to South Carolina, and um, we went to see that same doctor. It's, and, and I was actually excited because... Uh, I when we're in the waiting room and this is COVID. I observed the doctor like walking patients out. Right. And I was like, well, that's actually pretty big, you know. And so I was like, I want that for my dad, that level of attention. And so when we finally got back there, the doctor walked in the room and he said, oh, it's the biggest I ever seen. Like no introduction, no. Hey, how you doing? I, you know, and, I, and so I thought it was a little bit strange. And then he said it a second time. And I was like, OK, we're getting straight to business then, you know. And I said, well, listen, um, well, what, what stage is my is my dad at? And he says, um, stage doesn't matter at this point. Don't it doesn't matter. And I was like, okay. So then my dad jumps in and he's like, well, what, what about uh transplant? And he says, Well, you won't you won't make it that long. And I was like, okay, now you know I can start feeling that energy coming in. Um and, and then I said, Well, what about chemo? You know, and he said, Well, nah, chemo's gonna cost you about a thousand dollars a week. Now at that point, that point I said, You're a racist. I mean, I just blurted out, you're racist, you know, and this guy was so, he was so upset, like emotionally. And I had to really question whether or not I made the right decision. He left out the room. Uh, so it's just me and my dad there. And so to kind of give you a little background, so my dad would always say, well, what, you know, what is it that you, what's diversity inclusion? What is that? I, I, I don't understand. You, you, you're doing what? What are you doing? Right. And I can never really quite explain that to him. Doctor comes back in and he's like. I, I, I'm just so offended by you saying I was racist, you know, and, and I was like, uh, well, let me explain to you why I, I said you was racist. I said, first of all, I observed you with all these other people. And then with us, you stand offish. Like you didn't even introduce yourself. You just said the biggest you've ever seen. And every time we asked you about um, what can we do? You basically shut us down saying like, just go die. Like that, that's what was your approach, you know? And then I said, what really put me over the edge is, you brought up money. I never said anything about money. Like we, we never said what we can afford. We can't afford, you know, and so that was a bias you put on us. Just and you don't know. It, so basically it's based on our skin color. So then he says, well, I'm, I, I, I mean, I'm not I can't be racist. I'm more African than you. You know, it's like I'm from I'm from Egypt, you know, and I was like, that, that doesn't have anything to do with it. It's the it's your approach. I mean, it's your mindset, you know, um, but. So anyway, he ended up giving my dad a treatment, you know, and, and I was rolling my dad out. He looked up at me and said, son, OK, this is this is what you do. It, like, this is what you do. And like at that that moment, he was saying. 
I know what you do and you got to keep doing it. Like this is real life yeah. here, you know? Um, and then, you know, my, a friend of mine's wife worked for the cancer society. She recommended somebody based out of New York. I called this doctor. Doctor got on the phone. He said, your dad is on the best treatment. I would give him the same thing. I wouldn't move you from there to here, you know, what have you. Um, and he, he said that what I will do is I will FaceTime your dad and you send me the biopsy every week and then I will manage it from here for free. Like it wasn't even like you weren't even his patient. It's like just it was like, yeah, no problem. So because he did that in the second week, I was like, hey, let me just first of all, let me thank you. But two, let me tell you about the experience I had with this doctor in South Carolina. And so he said, you know what? Let me apologize uh, on behalf of like, you know, all doctors, whatever. But he said, do you mind if I call that doctor? And I was like, there's neither here nor there to me. Like, yeah, sure. And so we never had a conversation about if he called or what have you. Fast forward, my dad completes the treatment. So uh, the Monday, that Monday, we go into the uh, doctor's office. The doctor meets us outside. And I was like, whoa, like this is totally different. because This is not what we've been getting. I've already been preparing my dad. Like, you know, he's going to make you feel bad, you know, so just, you know, let's work through this. So he meets us very nice. You know, um, we were left out of there. My dad was pumped up. Unfortunately, that Friday, my dad passes away. That Sunday, the doctor from South Carolina called me at nine o'clock in the morning. Now, this is strange because he had strict hours, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like, that's it. You can't if, you, if you're two minutes late, he cancels your appointment. Right. And so for him to call me Sunday morning, it was very uh, strange. And I was going to answer because I'm like, I don't need to be even more depressed than what I am right now. But anyway, I, I picked the phone up and he immediately says, hey, I, I, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. He was a great guy. You know, you're a great son. I mean, he really pumped me up. I mean, he really poured in me, which I was surprised about. You know, in and, and that moment, it made me realize two things. Uh, one, you have to interrupt these. Like, I don't care what the scenario is. You have to interrupt these biases. Like, so by me in that moment saying this, you're, you're racist. Like I immediately hit him with a shock value because you may not be aware, but let me tell you why, you know, like this is the way you're moving and this is the way I'm perceiving this. Then this is where allyship come in at. The other doctor, I don't know what their conversation was, but I'm pretty sure whatever that was, it had an impact on him making that change. So those two things working together is, is what created the change in that person. So now moving forward, look at how many lives are being, are going to be saved, right? And so then it makes me think about like the work that we're doing, like even on this call here, what we're, it's not about the person that you work with. I mean, of course you want to have a better work environment, but if you can learn something and then go back to your circle of influence, because the reality is our circle of influence typically is not that diverse because we're more comfortable with people who are just like us. But if you can go to your circle of influence and say your dad is a doctor, you just change lives. Let's say your neighbor is a, is a police officer. You just change lives. And that's why this is important. That's why it's important to educate yourself and to speak out. Because, again, even if you're the person, the first one that's breaking down the wall, just think about all the people you're going to save or create that good work environment moving forward. I just wanted to talk a little more about, you know, when you said the doctor said, well, I'm Egyptian, I'm not racist. So I, I, we hear that so much, not necessarily the Egyptian part, but the part where, you know, you feel like you have allyship or camaraderie, even though what you said had, as we said before, was not intended to be racist. Can you talk about what's the difference between anti-racism and being not racist? What is the difference there? And where does allyship fit in the spectrum? 
So I'm I'm so glad you you said that because everybody anybody can say I'm anti-racist. Like that, that's the that's the first response that everybody says, especially when you call them out. No, I'm I'm, I'm not racist. Like I'm 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 not racist. I'm anti-racist. You know, or I'm not racist. Not racist. Anti-racist. Um, and so when you're anti-racist, now you're not only saying I'm not racist, but you're also at it's an action. You're now speaking out against it. That, that's what anti-racism, I'm speaking out against it. So if you're saying I'm not racist, you're basically complicit in saying I, I don't see color. <laughs> We're all the same. Like you don't you don't see an issue like I, I'm not racist. I'm that's that's over there. But if you're anti-racist, no, you're stepping into the fight. You're putting the gloves on. And, and that's why it's important to be anti-racist and not just saying I'm not racist. Thank you for kicking it with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up to date with all our conversations. Also, if you don't mind, hit us with the five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share it with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holler at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salam.